like to do a song for you that I guess uh, is about the greatest song ever written about America. And it's by Woody Guthrie. And what's so great about it is it gets, it gets right to the heart of the promise of what our country was supposed to be about. And I guess, I don't know if you talk to some of the unemployed steel workers from East LA or Pittsburgh or Gary. There are a lot of people out there whose jobs are disappearing. I don't know if they'd feel if this song is true anymore. And uh, I'm not sure that it is, but I know, I know that it ought to be. So uh, I'd like to do this for you, reminding you that with countries, just like with people, it's easy to let the best of yourself slip away. another episode of pod like a hole the podcast where we take an album and we dissect it track by track the first season was nine nails the last season was david bowie and this season's going on forever and it's whatever episode or whatever album we start talking about last episode we talked about peter gabriel so and tonight we are talking about bruce springsteen and the e street bands darkness on the edge of town and we will be starting the whole shebang with a discussion of boss news 
and some boss history and the boss discography in part one of the two-part series of the E Street Band. I'm one of your hosts, I'm Steve, and with me, as always, I've got Mark. Yes, I know, you are doing the intro today, and I love it, it's great, I am here. And I've got Eric as well, Eric? Hey fellas, happy to to boss about the boss tonight, it's great. Yes, tonight, uh, it's a pirate radio takeover, the E-ship has arrived, and no, it's not a rave ecstasy thing, it's the E Street Band, the, the Pirates of E, E-C, God. Had that all planned out. <laughs> Anyways, Pirate Radio, uh, WPLAH or WNBC. Um, so let's go. Let's start like we always do with some news. And we've got some news tonight. Some boss news. Did you guys hear about this? Did you hear about this down on E Street? That just like when Peter Gabriel last week, last episode, Released his first song in 20 years, the episode, the week we were doing the episode. Now this 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 week, uh, Bruce and the E Street Band's newest tour, their first tour in about I'd say six years. Six years is going on. Did you guys hear about that? I did. Um, is uh, anything coming our neck of the woods? No, that's unfortunate. They are not coming to this part of California. Uh, the closest I think they're getting is, uh, I don't know, uh, Seattle or something. Maybe, maybe they'll add some dates. Who knows? But they, they started in Tampa. Everybody loves a good show in Tampa. And it was your typical, uh, 3.5 hour set list. It, it featured some songs that we'll talk about tonight. Uh, a couple of deep cuts, all, all the things that you usually get from a Bruce show. Apparently it went off without a hitch. Update since this recording. More tour dates were announced, including some in L.A., as well as a San Francisco date on December 8th of 2023. Tickets go on sale this Thursday, which by the time you're hearing this was probably two Thursdays ago. Either way, the boss is coming to California. I'll see you there. All right. Yes, the E Street Band is touring once again. They are not coming to California. I, I hope they do in the next few years because uh, well, I don't know if Bruce can keep that intensity up for a while. The guy's, the guy's in his mid-70s. Speaking of being in his mid-70s, did you guys hear about this? Backstreets Magazine, a fanzine dating back to the 70s. Uh, uh, by, by the fans, for the fans. They have ceased publication in protest. Now, I think they're probably just tired of doing it, but they claim it's in protest of the high ticket prices on the most recent Bruce Springsteen tour. Now, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band have always had high ticket prices, but not not too high. Uh, you, you get what you pay for, i tell you that much. But uh, Bruce always said, you know, he tells his guys, go out and see what everybody else is doing, and let's charge a little less. But now Bruce is also saying, hey, we're 73 years old. The guys are there. I want to do what everybody else is doing. My peers. So he's looking at the Rolling Stones across the way. He's like, I'm 73 years old. I want to leave a lot of money for my kids. I'm going to charge you a bazillion dollars for tickets. And uh, Backstreet Magazine is shutting down in protest. Now, 
all the tickets are not a billion dollars. There are cheap seats still available, but for the good seats, they have increased the ticket prices and some fans have protested. What do you guys think? Should should you get what you pay for in this day and age? I mean, Mark and I just tried to go see Metallica and it was going to cost us $600 a ticket. And I said, Mark, we're not going to see Metallica. But uh, many other people paid to see Metallica for $600. People should have the choice. How do you guys feel about these ridiculous ticket prices? Editor's note. Since the recording of this episode, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band have added a few more dates to their tour, including two dates in San Francisco. And two of the hosts from this very show purchased decent tickets for $130 after the fees. I'd say this ticket story about pricing was overblown clickbait. Now, back to our pre-re-recorded episode. Well, I think, uh, yeah, some of the blame uh, could go on the artist and management, but I also think that uh, the monopoly of Live Nation and Ticketmaster is uh, certainly for real. Um, and charging fees without really having any competition in the marketplace, uh, you know, when that Live Nation and uh, Ticketmaster merger took place, I know we're sounding a little bit like NPR right now, um, but they don't have anyone else in the game that could potentially come in and try to add more competitive pricing. Live Nation owns the venues, Ticketmaster owns the um, distribution of the tickets so they can charge whatever the hell they want. And so I do think that, uh, you know, if you just take a look at the whole Taylor Swift saga that's happening, that lit up some, uh, democratic senators about trying to fix this monopoly that is going on, but it is unfortunate because music, uh, live is, uh, definitely an experience. And if you're only going to be playing to rich assholes, um, that I think is a problem. Um, I feel that uh, it further disconnects the uh, uh, the class system here if you're not able to experience things uh, live because you can't afford to put a down payment uh, that's equivalent to a house payment uh, just to see a, la- a live act for three hours in a night. That's a that's a great point. Like, so yeah, the the disconnecting. I mean, it might even make you be into the artist less if you can't go see them. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's still there's still like we're talking about the thousand dollar VIP seats are now like two thousand dollar VIP seats. They're always ridiculous. You can still get your ninety dollar to a hundred and sixty dollar, you know, nosebleed. Now that's ridiculous. It's a nosebleed seat, but you can still make it and see the show if you will. And if I end up seeing the boss again, I'll probably be in those nosebleed seats, and I'll be just happy to be there, like I was the other times I saw him. But if you're a super, 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 super fan. And you've been there all these years and yeah, for what you used to be able to pay 200 bucks to be right up front. And now you got to pay $2,000 to be right up front. That does suck, but also everything else is expensive and uh, you know, inflation it might, uh, everything else might cost, you know, increase the same. I don't know. My only two cents on it is, and I don't, you know, I just am going to trust Mark's uh, business uh, acumen on what's going on there. But, um, it's hard to be an idealistic musician. I mean, Bruce writes his songs for the factory workers, but they can't go see him live. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's, that sucks. Well, that's that's and, ironic. It's ironic though, because the album we were talking about tonight 
that's where he started seeing like bigger arenas and going to like Madison Square Garden. And he actually agonized over the uh, increase in scale would uh, undermine his control over the audience, but also the same thing. He was worried that some fans wouldn't be able to go. Now, that was 40 years ago. So uh, I-, I think he carried the torch plenty long. Yeah, and um, he's, he's, he does a, a, a podcast with Obama. Nobody should be surprised they can't afford to see him in concert either. Well, so. anybody specifically said, like, as you know, we're 73 now. We're going to charge as much as everybody else. That's, I think that's fair. You've played four-hour marathons for decades. Now you're going to be 80 soon. And this last couple of go-rounds, you might charge everybody else's charge. In a perfect world, he just plays every truck stop in the Rust Belt for the next, I don't know, 15 years, and then he can call it a day. Exactly. But only if he plays the uh, the two albums from 1992, which I've dubbed the John Mellencamp albums. <laughs> yeah. So that's the, that's the E Street news. Moving on to our plug like a holes. E Street edition. I've got something. Uh, I know Mark got something, and Eric might have something. Mark, why don't you start? You were trying to read a book. You were trying to cram through a book before we record. Did you do it? Um, I did not finish that uh, book, but I'm uh, about 30% of the way through, um, and that book is called Born to Run. Um, I had put it on hold a couple weeks ago at my local library. It's the audiobook. And it's read by the man himself. Um, and it's uh, it's fantastic so far. I mean, it, it reads and he reads it just like he's probably talking to the audience. Just that stage banter quality. Um, it's it's a long one, even on the audiobook form. It's, uh, I think it uh, clocks in at 18 hours. Um, I'm on, I think I've gone through maybe four or five hours of that. But it's really good. I mean, it it's the, basically from soup to nuts, from where he it, it even talks about like how his mom, uh, where she came from, and how his dad's relationship with him, and how excited. It, there's a lot of family stuff, and there's a lot of uh, why he got into music. Um, but so far, so good. I am very much enjoying it. Um, haven't learned any new nuggets about tonight's uh, topic because I'm not that far into the book where we're actually getting into the meat of his career. Um, it, I'm, I haven't even gotten to the part where he's even recording readings uh, from Asbury. So uh, just like his concerts, the man knows how to draw things out. Yes, he's uh, quite a storyteller. And uh, yeah, I've always, I, I like... When he, uh, his his relationship with his parents obviously informs many of his songs, uh, not angst ridden, uh, but definitely um, cold at times, maybe estranged at others. And uh, but still, they uh, they the way he is is because the way they raised him. And um, well, all it all ended well if you follow the whole story in him and his parents. Um, which is, you know, you don't get that with a lot of our artistic heroes. A lot of time they hate their parents, and that's uh, also the way they turned out. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good book. I read it. Uh, the wife bought it for me a few years ago. It is a good one. Eric, you said you were going to take one for the team. I don't blame you if you didn't have time to do it. But it was a curiosity for me. I never made it to it. 
Did you watch that movie, Blinded by the Light? Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay, that's, that's another Another empty promise. <laughs> another empty promise. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, there you go. It's just like the song. Yeah, there you are. Um, nothing worse than uh, somebody telling you the truth and not holding up their end. Did you watch any Bruce things? Uh, vid- music videos and some of the live clips you recommended. Okay, good. Well, well, for the uninitiated, what is this Blinded by the Light? Uh, thank you, Mark. Blinded by the Light was a film from a few years ago, and it is about a Bruce Springsteen superfan. It might be in the 80s. I haven't seen it. I've only seen the trailers. It's about a, uh, I believe, a, a American Indian fellow. Like a, uh, maybe his family immigrated here from uh, India, and he's a big Bruce Springsteen fan. And Bruce Springsteen wrote a special song for it. I have no idea about what it's about at all, besides a teenage uh, super fan of Bruce Springsteen who uh, was either born here by immigrant parents or immigrated here himself. That's my knowledge of it. And they break, out into, the they break out into song in it, right? So it, it is like a true musical, but they use Bruce songs, I think. I don't even know or, if I knew that. If I recall the trailer... There's some dancing and, and such like, like for all I know, it could be in his imagination or whatever. But yeah, he is. Yeah, there's there's some. So it's like Glee, but Bruce Springsteen songs, perhaps. Or what's that? Was that interesting? Was that Beatles one? But yeah, anyways. yesterday. Yeah, well, I thought yesterday was about what was the, what's the world without the Beatles? Wasn't that what um, yesterday was? Exactly. But only one guy remembers them and then goes out to sing their songs and becomes a, a cultural phenomenon on his own. Cause he's also a musician and so no one had ever heard like any other Beatles song. And he was just, yeah, it was like this weird. Did he get that idea from, reality. from, from Dr. Evil? <laughs> I feel Probably. like that was like a, a Austin power side plot where Dr. Evil was like singing songs, uh, going back in time and singing songs before they were. Thinking. Is that like Goldmember? Cause, uh, or is that <laughs> shag? Who, uh... It was the second one. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Anyways, what was I'm the sorry. second one's called? The, the uh, it was called shag the... me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Okay. Yeah, I never saw two or three. Um, I've you never saw the you one. never saw the second one, huh? Never saw the second one. Never huh. saw the third one either. It was it was funny enough. I did. The third one's got your girl Beyonce in it. You didn't see that? I know. Well, I'm, I, and yeah. and your boy Tom Tommy Cruz. So come on. Wow. Yeah. I'll uh, have to put that on the list right after Master I, of Disguise, just to <laughs> the whole. <laughs> you know. Whatever Dana and Mike do. (laughs) That was a tangent, but uh, nope, didn't watch that musical. um, But if if I'm trying to connect with my theater nerd daughter, I will keep that and I'll go for that one instead of the full Monty uh, next time. So, all right. Uh, Did have you you guys ever watched that Springsteen on Broadway? It's on Netflix. I haven't. Um, I have heard about. this particular show that he put on. Cause I want to say um, Scott Ackerman and his wife actually flew out to New York to, to see this. So I remember him talking about it on one of his podcasts, old money bags, Ackerman. Oh yeah. Um, he's not, compl- he's not complaining about dynamic pricing. If he was able to go to that Broadway show, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I, uh, I'll need to check that out. I didn't know that it was actually available on Netflix. I, it I, is. Yes. That's, that's good to know. That's my plug. You could, yeah, I sat down and finally watched it. 
You can watch it on Netflix or you could also listen to it. It works just as well almost if you listen to it on any of the streams. Now, real rock and roll band evolves out of a common place in time. Bands come out of towns, out of city, out of neighborhood. And they come along in a particular moment. Bands are all about what happens. by musicians who come from the same streets, the same passions and influences go in search of lightning and thunder. They come together in a whole that is greater than the sum of their parts. They may not be the best players. That's not necessary. They need to be the right players. And when they play together, there is a communion of souls and a natural brotherhood and sisterhood manifests itself in a quest a quest has begun. You're in search of something. An adventure is undertaken. And you ride shotgun. In a real band, principles of math get stood on their head. And one plus one equals three. one equals two that happens every day that is not magic that's the grind it's when you get up one go to work one go to bed two, two geniuses two <laughs> but when one plus one equals three that's when your life changes and you see everything new these are days when you are visited by visions, when the world around you brings down the spirit and you feel blessed to be alive. It is the essential equation of love. There is no love without one plus one equaling three. It's the essential equation of art. It's the essential equation of rock and roll. It's the reason the universe will never be fully comprehensible. It's the reason Louie Louie will never be fully comprehensible. And it's the reason true rock and roll and true rock and roll bands will never die. Amazon, Spotify, and Netflix. And yeah, Bruce did a run of shows on Broadway uh, for a while. And it's just him, his guitar, and the piano, and harmonica. And he does a little bit of talking about a song. Talking about a life thing, not necessarily a song. And then he plays a version of the song. It's kind of like Storytellers, but on Broadway. And uh, he's a pretty funny guy. Uh, obviously, he's a... You know, dating back to the start of his career he was always like a kind of a troubadour love to tell a good yarn and this is a perfect uh venue for that and uh, his wife comes up for a bit patty who's also in the e street band they sing some songs to each other they uh they do brilliant disguise together which is interesting to me because when i uh, dig into that song now i always think it's about what he wrote right before he got divorced that's fun um the first time not from patty but i highly recommend it it's uh it's on netflix Bruce is a fun guy to just sit and listen to him chop it up. So Springsteen on Broadway. 
So those are those are our plugs. A book, a Netflix special, and a movie none of us watched. Uh, I did, you know, one of the topics when I was going through all this stuff is that Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, you'll notice we really haven't, like, you know, who, who is Bruce Springsteen? Have anybody of you? Come on, everybody knows who he is. In this show, probably the most well-known, maybe best-selling artist we've ever covered. Uh, kind of an institution to himself. I mean, the genre he is in is like, you know, rock or folk rock. But almost like Bruce Springsteen and the Eastry Band is like almost their own genre. There's people that kind of dedicate their life to this guy, listen to him all the time, see him tour a billion times. And because of this, there is so much goddamn Bruce Springsteen media out there. Out of all the people we've uh, talked about, definitely this guy has the most books written probably by him and about him and his band. I mean, I myself, I've got that book Mark was talking about. I've got another book just called Bruce, which I recommend. It's another, it's a, a biography came out a few years before that. Um, all the box sets that come out uh, usually have like a book with them talking about that, that era and a DVD documentary of that era. Uh, there's that movie Bruce Springsteen and I, which is just fans going on and on and on about how they love, how they love Bruce Springsteen. Uh, there's multiple books out there with people writing essays about Bruce Springsteen songs about America and how they feel about them. I've got, I've got one of those. Um, just it's it's insane how much Bruce Springsteen stuff there is in the world. I wanted to note that, but also I, I find it interesting that also out of all the artists we've talked about, this is the most ingrained in pop culture group of people I think we've talked about. And I was sitting back and when you really think about it, it's not just Bruce, like if multiple members of the E Street Band probably were in our lives before we even uh, listened to his music. Um, we've got, and we're going to go over the roll call of the members when we talk about the recording, but just if you think back, I mean, you've got Max Weinberg as a drummer for Conan. Hey, the boys are in a crew, Conan. You don't want to mess with that. Oh, the band's in a crew, huh? Oh, yeah, when the band's in a crew, you just can't mess with it. something but now I forgot. Great. Are you happy, Conan? You've officially ruined the group. I'm really so sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to do it. Can you can you get the group back? Conan, once the group is gone, it's gone forever. 
Now, if you guys are like me, I didn't know Max Weinberg was a drummer for the E Street Band until I was like, oh, wait, the Conan's drummer is also Bruce Springsteen's drummer. Like, I knew it backwards. Is that how you guys learned about it? Definitely. Definitely. I honestly was a fan of Conan uh, when he took over that show because it was so weird. And uh, Max Weinberg, just his jazz type drumming. When I heard that he was part of the E Street Band, I was like, that doesn't sound right. You know, just mm-hmm. because he looks like a dentist or an accountant um, <laughs> yeah. and who's just, you know, having some fun with the boys on a weekend. And um, but yeah, no, I mean, he's a very accomplished drummer and the stuff that he does on some of these classic recordings is amazing. Um, but yeah, totally in reverse. Had no idea. Exactly. And I would even say the same thing about another member of this band, which I'm sure That's you'll introduce. Yep. You, well, you, you, the next one. Let me guess. A uh, little Steven on the Sopranos. You got it. Oh, I love Silvio. Silvio is one of my favorite characters. Just his delivery. He's He has it amped up to be almost like a Dick Tracy villain in his delivery on that show. His costumes, his hairpiece is just phenomenal. And then I think some point, Steve, you told me, and I might have been halfway through the show, that it was Bruce Springsteen's guitarist. And... Uh, and I just that made me appreciate it so much more. And then every time there's a, a boss reference on the Sopranos, just uh, cracking big smiles. It's 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 great. What the fuck you been? You're late. Highway was jammed with broken heroes on a last chance power drive. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I fairly certain I knew he. I probably learned about it the same way. Like I got into Sopranos right when it came out in like 1999. Obviously, I heard some Bruce Springsteen and I listened to some songs, but I don't think I knew who the band was. That's probably where I learned about Silvio or little Steven. And um, another one, uh, one of my first, probably the first time I saw this guy on screen. I mean, maybe I saw him in like the Glory Days videos when I was a toddler or something. But uh, do you guys know where you first saw Clarence Clemens? I I guarantee you this is where you first saw Clarence Clemens. Um, was did he feature at all in the Dancing in the Dark or Born in the USA video? Because I want to say my first Bruce uh, video that I actually saw as a kid was probably Dancing in the Dark. And maybe, maybe. I cannot remember those. Vi- I did not revisit all of the videos. But let's uh, let's I mean, think. Was he was he in uh, the first time that I saw him was probably the record cover of um, Born to Run. Then okay, no, it's not. Was he in? Was let's, was he in? Was he in on the on the on on the verge of? possibly uh, mistaking him for another uh, saxophonist. Uh, was he in Adventures in Babysitting? God, you were close, Eric. Same era. I don't remember if he was in that. But feature films. He was in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. He was the the like the centerpiece of the the, yes. the, the people of the future that were going to yes. help. You know. He was the councilman? He was one of the yes. council? Oh, yes. <laughs> He was sitting in the middle. He was like the head council. <laughs> that is right. Oh boy. Yeah. When I, when I learned that was Clarence Clemens long after I was a, a Bruce Springsteen fan, I was like, Holy crap. I, I think I, I think I was watching it again one day. Cause it's a movie that holds up. And I was like, wait a minute. I was like, that's Clarence Clemens. I was like, that's amazing to me. And, um, I mean then, so you got those three that were in the pop culture as we grew up. And also just, yeah, Bruce himself. I mean, the guy, the guy parodies himself. He knows uh, his whole, you know, deal. But, uh, I mean, uh, one of the greatest sketches of all time 
if you ask me, uh, if the Ben Stiller show is remembered for one thing, it will be the, uh, what is it, the true stories of Bruce Springsteen? Yeah. yeah yes. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Hey, hey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's the kind of it's the kind of you got Ben Stiller. Uh I think there's there's a few of them, isn't there? Like it's a reoccurring deal. Very, I think there's a, at least, yeah. yeah, at least three or four of those. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 Ben Stiller does a good boss. He does a good boss. Yeah, it's, and he does a good boss, and it's the kind of thing you would it's so like ridiculous, but it only comes from a place of love. Um yeah, look it up, Google it. Uh, it's, it's well, just, the whole the whole premise the whole premise being like it's playing on his like every working man's thing where like he plays a secret show and then he helps clean up the bar and mop the floor and it's it's great yeah <laughs> so no that stuff is fantastic um i mean yeah. like i i would say that's almost my introduction to bruce springsteen um in my formative years i mean i think uh growing up i didn't necessarily have a lot of access to cable television of your MTVs and VH1s until I was probably in eighth grade. And that was generally around the time I was starting to get into music generally. Um, so yeah, it's stuff like that. I would almost say that um, I, I knew about the caricature of Bruce Springsteen before I knew about Bruce Springsteen himself. Yeah. I heard some stuff on the radio, of course, like born in the USA and um, dancing in the dark perhaps, but yeah, that Ben Stiller was definitely one that uh, put Bruce Springsteen a little bit more on my radar. And I'd say the thing that was the pop culture moment that uh, I think tipped me in to wanting to become a Bruce Spring- Springsteen fan. Knew of his music plenty, but I was, uh, I was getting to be uh, you know, my late teens, maybe my, my 20s, was his brief cameo in the movie High Fidelity. I want more. I want to see the others on the big top five. I want to see Penny and Charlie and Sarah, all of them, you know, just see him and talk to him. You know, like a Bruce Springsteen song. You call, you ask him how they are, and see if they forgive him. Yeah, and then, and then I'd feel good. And they'd feel good. You know, they'd feel good maybe, but, but you'd feel better. I'd feel clean and calm. That's what you're looking for. You want to get ready to start again? That'd be good for you. Great, Ethan. You give that big final good luck and goodbye to your all-time top five and just move on down the road. Good luck. Thanks, boss. You guys remember that? Oh, yeah. Thanks, boss. Definitely. Um in his bedroom just with his uh fender guitar maybe he plays a stratocaster who who fucking cares uh but yes exactly (laughs) and um, actually in 1995 i did have the single of streets of philadelphia i I did own that one actually it was probably not in 1995 that movie probably came out yeah i think it was 92 93 yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. 93, 94, somewhere around right when he was getting out of the human touch Lucky Town mode. I think that's what he was doing before he went into Ghost of Tom Jill. We'll get back to that in a second. Uh, but yeah, high fidelity that you've got John Cusack talking about the whole premise of the movie, which is getting in touch with his last five or his, 
his top five girlfriends and asking them why they broke up with him. And he's thinking about it, and he's like, yeah. For whatever reason, he starts talking to Bruce Springsteen in his head, and they've got Springsteen. He says, yeah, man, you call that top five up, figure out what's wrong, then you just let it go and kiss it goodbye. He strums some guitar licks. Get a little bit of closure. <laughs> yeah, he says like, Dad, this sounds like a Bruce Springsteen song. And then Bruce pops <laughs> pops up in the room. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Then, uh, yeah, the John Q. Six says, thanks, boss. And uh, it's, it's a little, it's a fun little cameo. So, yeah, you know, Mark, that's moving into how did we get into Bruce Springsteen? We'll start with you, Mark, because you started to bring it up. But I, I do love the fact that you had the Streets of Philadelphia single when you were teenager and that was that's a great song but that definitely is the closest he ever got to uh billy joel uh river of dreams type music <laughs> yes <laughs> you and your adult contemporary you know, <laughs> you know, we keep discovering your adult contemporary uh teenage oh, yeah. years it's incredible ah, big no, like, Bruce literally before, <laughs> before i really got into music um, I, I mean, most of my exposure to music, because it wasn't really music for me growing up. It was all about sports. You know, it was all about really, you know, baseball uh, in particular. And, you know, whenever I listened to music, it was whatever my parents were listening to in the car. And so uh, generally it was Y92 or classic rock whenever I'd be riding with my dad. And, you know, classic rock wasn't very kind to, like, the Eagle. I never really listened, heard much, I'm sure... Born to Run and Thunder Road may have played, but not very often. Um, so when um, I probably heard Brilliant Disguise and Streets of Philadelphia and Human Touch before I heard some more of his classic stuff. So it wasn't like until Steve, you got me into actually trying to pay attention to Bruce Springsteen because I actually thought this fucking guy i mean put him in the same bin as your john mellon camps rick springfields uh your heartland rock even though um you know another fan of the show uh fan of the show <laughs> may he rest in peace is tom petty um that guy definitely was a heartland rock and after i did my run through on bruce i did a little mini run through on tom but uh yeah, it wasn't until like working at the record store and no none of the regular record geeks really appreciated Bruce Springsteen. So that wasn't something that was on my radar until I heard Born to Run uh, with your recommendation. And that one uh, just blew my doors off. I, I finally got it. I finally understood why the hype was real around Bruce. And um, I've just been enthralled ever since. And that was probably in the like early 2000s. So I am a late, late comer to Bruce Springsteen, but he is a phenomenal artist. You may say that, but I think there's plenty of people who they, they bloom into Springsteen fans in their 20s and 30s, maybe even 40s. Um, and, I, and, and a lot of that comes from, if you're of our generation, yeah, you didn't see, you didn't know him when he was cool. Like we were, he's always been cool to some of us. But when we were kids, it was born in the USA, which I didn't understand what that song was really about until I was older because I, why was I, I wouldn't sit down and read the lyrics. It was a song Ronald Reagan was using uh, incorrectly. Um, 
followed by yeah the uh the uh, post divorce albums um and yeah like uh, a lot of people get radicalized later when they discover you know typically nebraska because their favorite indie rock band tells them listen to nebraska because somebody yeah. told them to listen to nebraska and then from there you're like well this 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 is great it doesn't sound like a lot of his other albums, but I'll check out those other albums. They're like, oh, wait, um, the majority of these other albums are amazing in different ways. Um, Eric, what was your what was your path? Was it similar to Mark's? Oh, yeah, I go bet way back with Bruce. Um, my uh, my parents, uh, you know, also in the car on road trips, but they had the whole albums that we would listen to the Philadelphia soundtrack. Uh often at home and, and on car trips. Um, and, but then uh, Human Touch, that one they had the cassette for, and I feel like I could I could sing that album start to finish now, and it's not a great album. It's got some, it's actually got some, it's got some okay songs, but we'll get into it, but it's not a great album, but I, like, for some reason they had that one, and, uh, and I knew him from that. And then, um, so there was a little bit of my childhood tied to that. And then of course, like I would recognize the big hits on the radio as Bruce. He's, you know, you can't mistake his voice for anybody else. Um, funny enough, when I bought my first Bruce Springsteen album, um, I was, it was 2001. I was away at college and I used to watch this show on comedy central called beat the geeks. And it was a, it was a trivia game show. You guys probably don't remember it. There was a host that would bring like, there would be these regular Joe contestants and then there would be these geeks that was like an Elvis impersonator that was like music was his thing. There was a movie nerd. Uh, there was, so there would be like these guys that were specialized in things and, and, and you'd have to beat them in trivia. I don't know why I love that show. It makes sense, I guess, for me. But one of the, one of the answers to one of the questions was Nebraska and the music geek was like, oh yeah, that's the most depressing album of all time. And in my head, I'm like, oh, interesting, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> so I, I went out and bought that one and, and uh, you know, I definitely loved it. Um, you know, funny enough, he's got some other records that are one man, one guitar kind of pastiche that I am not crazy about. In fact, I tended, as I went out and explored some more stuff, gravitated more towards his like wall of noise, uh, uh, wall of not noise, the wall of sound albums um, that we'll be talking about tonight. And I'll get into that. But my interest was peaked uh, from the '90s stuff to some more classic stuff as I burgeoned as a as a music fan. So, anyways, yeah, it makes sense. Um, you you uh, made me accept Bob Dylan in my life, and um, obviously he was a big disciple of Dylan and uh, my one of my old roommates uh, Boston Tim has blasting Bruce Springsteen one night and he's like ah Steve Springsteen's nothing but but Dylan for jocks and I was like that's not exactly true but I think that's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> I mean <laughs> well that might offend me now but I do think that uh, that he might have something there exactly uh, there's, there's some truth to that but it's not entirely true, but there is some truth in there. Um, yeah, no, like, you know, we're all the same age. So obviously I, I heard some songs in the eighties when he had really popular songs. Um, I think I've talked before. My mom's a big Roy Orbison fan, making me a big Roy Orbison fan. Bruce Springsteen is a big Roy Orbison fan. You can hear it in some of his songs. 
And he was also in the black and white night uh, special, which she had the CD of. Um, I didn't look at that and say, oh, Bruce Springsteen. I'm a big fan now. But uh, that, that made me aware of him. Also, Tom Waits is on, in part of that group. Um, the play on that album with Roy. I, I bought the cassette of Nebraska used at the record store, much like I bought the cassette of So, like I was talking about in the last episode. I think in this case, it was suggested to me by co-worker Alan, who also got me into Nick Cave. Um, I might be misremembering that, but it, it sure seems like one of the other things he would have suggested to me. So in my memory, that's what it is. Uh, uh, around that same time, uh, Hank Williams III released an album called Love Broke... Love? What is it? Something lovesick and drifting. Broke, lovesick, and drifting. And his cover of Atlantic City is on there, and it's amazing. And I was like, this is a cover of that Bruce Springsteen song. Well, they blew up Chicken Man in Philly last night. Now they blew up his house, too. Down on the boardwalk, they're getting ready for a fight. Gonna see what them racket boys can do. Now there's trouble busting in from out of state. And the DA can't get no relief. Gonna be a rumble out on the promenade And the gambling commission's hanging on by the skin of its teeth Well now everything dies, baby that's fact Well maybe everything that dies, someday comes back Put your makeup on, fix your hair up pretty And meet me tonight I should listen to more Bruce Springsteen. And so I bought a couple of live albums. This is all in the uh, early to mid thousands. And around then I was like, yeah, this is great. This guy just, he speaks to me. Uh, I'm 24 years old and I think I'm ready to be a Bruce Springsteen fan for life. This is just, he's putting all this stuff together that I like in a way that I want to just sit with all the time. Uh, songs that make you laugh, make you cry, funny songs, angry songs, good musicianship, uh, various uh, types of rock and roll throughout the years. And he was still going to that day. And uh, a couple years later, he put the album Magic out. I love that album. That was the first one I think I bought knowingly. Uh, either that or Devils and Dust, but Devils and Dust is another like stripped back one. Anyhow, uh, Magic comes out. And I get to see him on tour for the first time. And uh, mine was blown. Saw him again a few years later in Oakland. Saw him again a few years later in Oakland. Saw him, saw him three times. It's uh, fantastic stuff. And I am uh, part of the religion of E Street. I definitely am. To the point that part of the Steve mythology is uh, I met my wife once and she wanted nothing to do with me that night. And then a few months later, we were at a friend's birthday party and there was karaoke and I sang Thunder Road and she gave me her number that night. And I'm convinced to this day it's because I sang Thunder Road. 
So my whole life changed because I sang Thunder Road and karaoke, if you ask me. Uh, probably my life changed despite singing Thunder Road that night and karaoke, but uh, it's the other way around. To, in my life. <laughs> well, you, I'm, you grabbed her attention one way or another. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely became one of my go to karaoke songs. And I'm probably one of a billion pasty, pudgy white guys that have done that same thing. Everything dies, baby, that's a fight. But maybe everything that dies someday comes back. Put your hair up nice and sit up pretty and meet me tonight in Atlantic City. Meet me tonight in Atlantic City. Uh, long we're going to try to distill it to the basics and go over the albums quickly and um, I'm going to go through some of the history here so much of this has been beaten to death because there's so many books and shit about the guy I mean I don't I don't want to harp on stuff that people they probably they might already know but that informs the record we're going to listen to tonight it's just uh, we'll get through it quickly but the the history of Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band is one of the most rock and roll uh, there, there's, there's moments of mysticism and, and things have been embellished among the years. And I, 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 I true, I choose to believe the, the fairy tale version more than whatever the truth must've been. Nothing like that moment in your life of being young and leaving some place, all that youthful freedom. 
You feel finally being untethered from everything you've ever known, the life you've lived, your past, your parents, the world you've gotten used to and that you've loved and hated. Your life laying before you like a blank page. It's the one thing I miss about getting older. I miss the beauty of that blank page. So much life in front of you. It's promise, it's possibilities, it's mysteries, it's adventures. That blank page just laying there. Daring you to write on it. Freehold, Freehold, Jersey. And I think that name Freehold alone. And right there, he was born in Freehold. And half the, half the guy's songs are about trying to hold on to things that are slipping away or trying to be free. So look, from the minute he was born, it was a fate that he was going to write these stories about uh, all these topics. Um, it, was, it was near the Jersey Shore, near the boardwalk, but also near the sticks, which is, you can hear that in his music. You've got the rock and roll good time seaside sax blasting songs and then you've got the heartland songs so he was definitely a blend of the urban and the heartland from the uh, the start there bought his first guitar at 13 because he saw elvis and ed sullivan heard that a billion times in 1965 he became the lead guitarist and later the lead vocalist of the castiles they were kind of a uh i don't know doo-wop what band? I don't know. But, uh, I've, I've listened to a couple of very, very bad, bad dubbed tapes, uh, MP3s. He then he then joined a band called uh, uh, with Stevie Van Zant and Danny Federici, both future E Street members, called Child, and they renamed themselves Steel Mill. I just bring this up because if you look at pictures of Steel Mill, Bruce Springsteen has long hair, and it's. It's very, uh, it, it's, it's, it, it, it kind of messes with your head a little bit to see Springsteen with hair past his uh, elbows. He uh, he played around the Asbury Park and the Jersey Shore during those years, and uh, he, he 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 was he various bands called things like Doctor Zoom and the Sonic Boom and the Sundance Blues Band, and even the Bruce Springsteen Band. And then in the early '70s, they formed the uh, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Uh, at this point, uh, in 1973, these guys came up on writing their, putting out their first album. They were playing a lot of songs at a bar called The Stone Pony. But The Stone Pony was kind of like their band back at uh, at the boardwalk that was kind of their headquarters. Oh, I thought this was where this is where the hobbits went after leaving the Shire. <laughs> no, that's... Oh, the Prancing Pony. The oh, shit. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. my bad. Eh, you know what? Bruce Springsteen's a little bit shorter than I am, I think. He could be mistaken for a hobbit. Um, but the Stone Pony was a, basically, it was like their C- CBGBs or some such. It, and they were, they were damn near the house band. Um, I I made a pilgrimage there when I went to uh, Philadelphia and, and Jersey a few years back.
By that point, uh, Clarence is in the band, and uh, you know uh, Danny Federici, a couple of other guys that you know, Vinny Lopez and and Vinny Roslin. A couple of names are going to drop out, but the the, the Nexus was there. Um, Bruce and Stevie uh, in each other's bands or in different bands were toiling in that Jersey scene for about five, six, seven years. For the the first album came out. Greetings from Asbury Park. It came out in the Columbia Records. It was a uh, a critical favorite, but had slow sales. Um, I find this interesting because David Bowie covered two songs off of it, Growing Up and Hard to Be a Saint in the City. Uh, my favorite song off of it is Spirit in the Night. I give it a seven. Mark, what do you rank it as? Greetings from Asbury? Yeah. That one I would probably rank... Uh, a 6.5. It's a good one. Um, I, okay. I would say if we were to rank this as a, from the top as a power drive to the bottom as a human touch, um, it's right below a power drive. Well, if you want to, if you want a third position, if you'd like to use metaphors uh, instead of numbers for this exercise, you're more than welcome to. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I went twice platinum. Eric, you listen to that one, the first album? I did. I did. Um, there's some thoughts? really, there's some yeah strong songs on there, um, but kind of not my favorite uh, overall sound. But I don't know, good songwriting, yeah, it's fine. Strong debut, and it it had you know uh, the, the early early Springsteen. It definitely has the influences of funk and R and B and rock and that Jersey sound of you know some uh, hornage, if you will. But uh, you know when I listen to those early albums, I I like them. A lot of great songs. It's not what I go to Bruce for. But also every time I'm like, this is what the Wallflowers and Counting Crows think they sound like. That's what those early albums sound like to me. Um, the second of those albums is in 1973, The Wild, The Innocent, and The E Street Shuffle. Johnny was sitting on the fire escape watching the kids playing down the street. He called down, hey little hero, summer's long, but I guess it ain't very sweet around here anymore. Jane sleeps in sheets, damp with sweat, Johnny sits up alone and watches her dream on the sister prays for lost souls Then breaks down in the chapel After everyone's gone Jane moves over to share a pillow But Go opens Latin. her eyes to see Jane. I give it a 7.6 My favorite song on it is Spirit in the Night 
What do you rank that one, Mark? Wait, is Spirit in the Night in that? It is. Oh, Are you no, sure? no, no, no. No, it's not. Did I write Spirit in the Night twice on here? No, 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 no. I think Spirit uh, in the Night is on Greetings, isn't it? It is. I wrote it yeah. twice. Okay. Let's, but, uh, Rosalita. There Rosalita, you go. Rosalita, that's, that's the one you're look, could, looking for. How could that not be my favorite song off that one? Ro- Rosalita, won't you come out tonight? That's my also favorite one off that record. Uh, yeah, this one gets a straight seven for me. Um, I think the 4th of July, Asbury Park, uh, parent, uh, parenthetical Sandy. Um, this one has a little bit more of an expansive sound. You don't get that uh, Mary, the Queen of Arkansas type feel to this one. It's just all like pretty killer, all seven tracks. Um, it's a good one. Rosalita Come Out Tonight is also my favorite one. New York City Serenade, almost at 10 minutes, is also super solid. This one is Definitely a solid seven on its way to almost 7.5 for me. You know, their overall sound is good songwriting, but it's not doing a lot for me. And it drops down to a four because I really hate the title of this album. Sorry. That's that's fine. Um, scales one to ten, by the way. In 1975, Born to Run comes out. It goes uh, seven times platinum. One of the best rock albums of all time. Plenty of things have been written on it. The title track might as well be called Mr. You know, the, the Born. Mr. Bruce Springsteen might as well be called Mr. Born to Run. Uh, he had a feeling that it was this make it or break it record. And he just really, the band put everything they had into it. Um, It's a... Uh, not much, not much to say about it that hasn't been written. It's an all-time classic rock record. Uh, Little Steven helped arrange the horns on it, but he actually wasn't officially part of the band until they toured for it. And that's when he joined the E Street Band. And we will get to the E Street Band lineup when we talk about the making of Darkness on the Edge of Town. Uh, Born to Run, Thunder Road, my favorite Bruce Springsteen song and many people's others. It's the opening track. I give this album a 10. It's hard not to.
It is a perfect record. Uh, 10 out of 10 for me as well. Um, every track on this album is unbelievable. I couldn't believe what I was hearing the first time. Uh, Jungle Land is an amazing closer. It might be the best closer of all time. And um, she's the one. I mean, every song sounds so incredibly ahead of its time. Uh, I mean, the fact that Bruce spent six months almost tracking Born to Run because it wasn't matching his head. Uh, that song is an achievement and only four and a half minutes long. Um, it is that Phil Spector wall of sound that is undeniable. This album is fucking perfect. Yeah, if, in 1975, if I heard that album, it would sound like a rock record, but the way it blends those different strains of rock and R&B would be incredible to me. And it just sounds really good. Like it sounds, it makes your ears feel good to listen to it. Uh, you can't say that about a lot of records, but it just makes your ears feel good. I think Bruce's wordplay sometimes. I think he uses words, especially uh, the next album moving forward. He's very wordy in the first three albums. But he starts to really focus on what words he uses for maximum impact, but also he likes to use words that, in my opinion, sound good together. Um, yeah, listening to their shit and feeling good is uh, what the Eastery Band's all about. He ended up on the cover of Time and Newsweek at the same time. Uh, you know, uh, Bruce, he, 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 he couldn't, he, he felt like he had to make it or break it, and he definitely went on that last chance power drive indeed. Eric, uh, how do you feel about Born or yeah, Born to Run? Yeah, yeah, that is a ten out of ten. That's one I, I've always come back to over the years. I think Steve, you you nudged me in that direction early on, and and it's always been one of my favorites. I have not not much more to add. I would say that the layering of instruments, the tracking of instruments, not only is it perfect and interesting, it almost makes it edgy. There's so much going on that um, while it does sound good, there's a challenging aspect aspect to it too which i which i love um title track title track might be in my top 20 songs of all time um and jungle land mark you're absolutely right that's that's uh, chef's kiss um so that when i uh, said initially that i i keep coming back my favorite stuff is that wall of sound bruce uh this and the song the album we'll be talking about tonight uh, definitely fall in that category uh, we'd be remiss not to mention that Jungle Land does have the Clarence Clemens uh, saxophone solo to end all saxophone solos. Um, I mean, uh, percentage wise, Clarence Clemens, the man and Clarence Clemens, like Clarence Clemens, the man is probably 20% of why I like this band so much. And then on top of that, his saxophone playing is like the, the next 20%. And the rest of it's the rest of the band and Bruce. Uh, when, when he takes center stage in songs, when used right, it just it, it just takes me to a special place. And Jungle Land definitely does that.
album. Uh, you know, Darkness on the Edge of Town. We're going to go into it tonight. Um, There's a lot of weird shit in the, the history of this band around this time because of the lawsuit, which informs many of the tracks that we will talk about tonight. Uh, he got in a, a lawsuit dispute with his um, longtime manager, Mike Appeal, I believe his name is. And uh, he basically couldn't get back in the studio until it was settled. His, his manager was offering him terms in a contract that he thought were bullshit. He wasn't going to sign it. And until it was settled, he couldn't record again. And he started just recording or writing and writing and writing and writing and writing and writing until and touring until it was settled. And then get in the studio for darkness on the edge of town. We'll talk more about darkness on the edge of town later, but around this time is when they started doing the longer shows. They started having so many good songs just off their first three albums and the covers that they do and the songs they were writing for darkness on the edge of town. This is around when he started doing the three hour shows and, you know, pouring all his energy into it and just kind of like the E street band was kind of James Brown on steroids where they were the hardest working band in show business. And you got, you got your money's worth. Um, these, these shows from the mid to late seventies were the ones that kind of wrote that in stone. And they're the ones that I go back and watch often. If you seek one thing out from these shows, I have not listened to every, uh, you know, there's a lot of Bruce Springsteen live albums out there. I don't know if they kept doing this again after the seventies. I didn't, didn't happen when I saw him, but they used to play this song called quarter to three by Gary us bonds. And it's definitely from this era. And it was either the second to last or the last song they would play. And from this era of Bruce Springsteen, seek that song out. If you guys haven't already heard it, it is a riot. I, uh, it's 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 a it's a cover song that pretty close to the the original, but they make it their own with the level of intensity they bring to it. Every band member gets a little, and it's wonderful. Gary U.S. Bonds then ended up covering a few, a few Bruce Springsteen songs himself, as did other artists. Um, Bruce used to write songs for others specifically. Uh, he, he wrote so many songs that he, he didn't even write them all. You know, he couldn't even keep up with himself and he would give them out. Um, the Pointer Sisters, Manfred Mann, Patti Smith, The Pretenders, um, many more. They all got some Bruce songs that became hits of their own. And in turn, there are a billion artists out there that have covered Bruce Springsteen songs that he didn't write for them. We will not be going into that tonight because it is too much to go into. Uh, Who's covered Bruce Springsteen songs would be its own episode. So we're not going to do it. Moving on. 
After Darkness in the Edge of Town, you get the river. The River comes out in uh, 1980, two months before I was born. And The River combines the uh, some more upbeatness you find in Born to Run, but also some of the starkness of darkness. And I think it's a great melding together. They had so many songs that they put out a box set that had two CDs worth of songs they didn't put on these albums. And this is already a double album. The River Sessions alone had like four albums worth of material. And they edited it down to a double album. I give The River a 9.5. It's a big meal. Uh, it took me a couple of years to appreciate it. And once it clicked for me, it's one of my favorites. It might actually be my second favorite of his. Um, spoilers, we'll talk about my first favorite later tonight. Uh, I give it a 9.5. I do realize that I gave more to run a 10, but uh, the river's a little long, but I still love it. Independence Day is my favorite song on the river. Mark, how do you feel about the river, which went five times platinum? You know, the thing with the river is that you mentioned how long it is, and it is a giant meal. I mean, you really have to settle yourself in for uh, that. Um, it's not bad, but the length of the full record can be a lot to absorb in one sitting. Um, now, he takes upon like some of the themes that we're going to talk about tonight and just kind of amplifies it even more. But on a whole, um, the river is kind of like his fragile for me. Maybe that's also because it's a double record. I think that it's it's something that you need to actually sit down and really analyze without just having it wash over you as you're driving in the car. Um, so for that reason, I give it right now, right now, and I feel like this has growth potential for me. Um, just a flat seven. Um, it could be even a six for me. I told you it was a grower for me. You know, yeah. like, you might get there. It might not. Yeah. Um, what is funny, though, is that when I saw him last in 2016, I wasn't there yet with the river. I liked it, but I don't like it as much as I do now. And <laughs> they uh, they were touring for its anniversary and playing the entirety of the river. And I was like, oh, my God, the river's fucking like nine hours long. It's like they're going to play the river and then play like another two hours of songs. And as much as I love the boss, my God. And uh, that's exactly what they did. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a long night. What do you think about the, <laughs> what do you think about the river, Eric? 
Yeah, no, no ranking. Uh, I'm going to give it. I, I agree with Mark in that it's got a little bit of the melancholy and infinite sadness uh, problems in in its overstuffedness. None of it's bad, um, but at some point, it's just kind of uh, a lot to take, and maybe you're paying less attention to the specifics and more just to the overall feeling of it, which is a good feeling. Uh, my river notes are just Steve. I texted you about this, but. One time when uh, I was living in Vacaville and you were still in San Francisco, I came to visit you and you were moving out of your apartment on your way to where you live now in Auburn. And uh, in fact, uh, your wife and kid had already had already done the move. And so you're uh, and I show up and then we hit a bar and maybe got some giant burritos. And then we just watched the river documentary for the night. And it was a good time. It was it was definitely a good time. And uh, oh, yeah. so I, yeah. I know a lot about the album. Yeah. That uh, you, know, you know a lot about the album, and you know little Steven sitting around in you know, wife beaters uh, as they go into the you know, take fifteen of of a, uh, the, a song that didn't even show up in the album. Uh, the first four tracks in the river, though, the way their sequence is great, they're all rockers. Uh, Ties that bind uh, Jackson Cage, Two Hearts into Sherry Darling. Yeah, so they all work great together. And hungry, like hungry heart, hungry heart's a cool, cool. Like that a, is, for for like being a big basic single, it's a amazing song. That was his great. first. That was his first big hit. Was hungry heart, um, which kind of was like a cousin to glory days. It makes sense and to me the way they sound. So they have like the same pace. Um, also another track to seek off on that one. And I was gonna try to go through these quickly, but here we are. Is um, Cadillac Ranch. You don't like Cadillac Ranch, you don't like rock and roll. It also contains some of the finest Springsteen lyrics on the title track from the river. Those memories come back to haunt me. They haunt me like a curse. Is a dream a lie if it doesn't come true? Or is it something worse? Memories come back to haunt me. next album was Nebraska, which uh, came out in 1982. He stripped things back and he recorded it on a four track. We've all heard about it a billion times. This guy that made these big wall of sounds record made a four track album in his, uh, in his shed by himself. No E street band, just him alone. Uh, you know, a lot of people listen to cool, cute, cool music like Nebraska. Nebraska is the Bruce, Sting, Bruce Springsteen album that people that don't like Bruce Springsteen probably say they like. Um, I give it a 9.5. My favorite song is The Highway Patrolman. And I love the lyric from Atlantic City. Well, they blew up the chicken man in Philly last night. Mark, what do you give Nebraska? How many, Nebraska. How many, chick, how many chicken men do you, how are you blowing up for Nebraska? Nebraska is um, unexpected because it's the first of his just stripped down records where it's just him and Bruce, uh, you know, the guitar and Bruce rather. And when I first heard this one, I had already understood that Nebraska was the one to watch out for based on what you had said earlier. These were the indie kids that were like, Ooh man, Nebraska. That's, that's the one to really pay attention to. 
It's been the same come down I get a call on a short week Frankie's in trouble downtown Well if it was any other man I'd put him straight away But when it's your brother Sometimes you look the other way Yeah, me and Frankie laughing and drinking Nothing feels better than blood on blood Taking turns dancing with Maria As a band played night of the John um, At first I didn't really um, uh, love it as much as I was supposed to um, But over time, and not that much time Had elapsed before I was like, yeah, this is um, excellent songwriting And this is where we start to get Bruce a little bit more honest in his uh, feel to the everyman and um, it's a good reset for him after the river to be honest with you uh, and I would give this one of almost a uh, 8.75 same ranking for me um, like I, this is the first one I bought on my own uh, early on um, and for the same reasons just following that the the <laughs> the record store nerd uh, uh, blog posts. Um, but what, what does set this one apart is while it is stripped down, it's, it's, it has a wet production quality to it. There's a lot of reverb and echo that works when it needs to work. And the songwriting is top notch Atlantic city. Not only are the lyrics like sound like a Coen brothers movie, but it is catchy and, and absolutely gets stuck in your head. Um, and the rest of the album follows suit. Uh, it's just top-notch songwriting. Um, I do not care for his other stripped-down albums nearly as much as I like this one. And that might be me just having record store in her brain and, and being trained that way. But I really do think the songwriting and the reverby production is just right to make this this in my wheelhouse. Uh, yeah, the other stripped-back ones aren't as good, but I don't put them in the dumpster or anything. Diminishing returns, though, for sure. Uh, yeah, then you got Born in the USA comes out. It goes 17 times platinum. A huge album. Um, you know, if the rest wasn't already history of Born to Run, it's definitely already history now. And he's into the stratosphere, and so is the E Street Band. Uh, Ronald Reagan misunderstood the clearly anti-war anthem Born in the USA and used it at his rallies. Bruce was not pleased. Could not be any more obvious <laughs> what it is about. <laughs> Jesus. Like he had to creatively probably like splice out verses that he used. On his <laughs> um, if you watch the Bruce on Broadway documentary, he goes into what the song was really about quite well. Uh, uh, my favorite song on it is downbound, Tra downbound train followed close by no surrender and Bobby Jean. This actually, I used to, I used to, I, I never disliked this album, but it grew on me over the years. I give it a 10. It's full of hits.
Yeah, I mean, this song, or this album is full of hits. I mean, there's no wonder why this uh, record went that many times platinum. I mean, when you think about it, this is what made him be almost on the same stage as your Michael Jackson and Madonna's. I mean, he became an icon at this point in his career. Um, Born in the USA, I'm on Fire, Glory Days, Dancing in the Dark, all seem to be just made for radio hits. Um, and then, you know, interspersed, there's the songs that you had talked about, Downbound Train, uh, Bobby Jean, Working on the Highway. I mean, no, Cover no, Me. No, no Surrender? You can't. I mean, that they're just, yeah, even the songs that weren't singles were catchy as all hell. Yeah. I mean, this is by far his most U2 type album where it was just bound for uh, glory. This isn't my favorite uh, Bruce album by any means. I kind of like the uh, not as polished sound that you hear on here. But um, that said, it's still a, uh, it, it's, it's an eight point. Five for me. I mean, it's a great record. It is. There's no denying it. It's it's a classic for a reason. I mean, if you're listening to any Bruce Springsteen album, this is going to be one of them. Uh, just for me, the glossiness of the sound is uh, not my favorite Bruce, but this is definitely a template for me. tell you the glossiness of the sound wasn't for little steven Euler, who uh he he fought to get no surrender on there to have some more rock and stuff on there and then he left the band shortly after uh a lot because of the gloss and how you know they he started to think that uh you know the, the bruce he used to know wasn't the same bruce which i don't think was necessarily true but uh, i don't know he started lifting a lot of weights and playing to you know stadiums he couldn't have been the same guy uh, between the iconic album cover of Bruce's ass with a bandana hanging out and the American flag in the background to like a what I would call very subversive selection of songs that are America, small town, corn fed. And then like the dark, there is a bit of the dark underbelly that goes with all that. I mean, it's kind of genius. It's all like my notes just say like when you listen to it, it's kind of like a Norman Rockwell painting. If it was hanging in the museum, that Joker was splashing paint all over. Like it's <laughs> like, I don't know. That's the metaphor I came up with. Um, that's what I mean. Yeah. It's polished. It's a very, uh, it's a very, very Eric metaphor, but I, yeah. it works. It's very polished. It is very Americana, but cynical in the right way. Um, and um, yeah, while it's not my favorite, I really appreciate what's happening here. And I think it ages well, because of the perspective that or what he's trying to say on it um maybe more so than than even the music itself um so it's it's cool i did rank it quite high as far as it's definitely my top five bruce albums 
I never tire. The the opening crack of the drums with the synths in Born of the USA, I never tire of that opening. That fucking sounds awesome. Um, it's probably also why, you know, Ronald Reagan used it too. Uh, yeah, and also, Mark, on the point of view too, they've covered Bruce Springsteen twice. I don't have what songs it is, but I know it was twice. So yeah, uh, big tours, very world famous stadium shows. Little Steven leaves the band. Nils Lochfren, whose name I can never pronounce, joins the band as the other guitar player. Um, they are superstars. They are touring areas of the world they never toured before. At this point, and I'm paraphrasing here, they did a benefit tour of Africa of some sort. Um, I'm sure Peter Gabriel is there. Actually, I do think Peter Gabriel is there. In the book, I, I, actually, I know he was. Uh, it's mentioned. and uh, But at this time, Clarence was <laughs> quoted as saying, Look at this. Purple trees and no white people. This is beautiful. And uh, he, he mentioned that, you know, there wasn't many black people at, at Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band shows. So it was, uh, it was a nice change for him. Uh, Bruce gets married to an actress. He writes Tunnel of Love. They are soon divorced. The marriage didn't last long. Uh, Tunnel of Love is a pretty dark record when you look closely at it, even though it sounds very 1987. Uh, the E Street Band gets broken up shortly after, and uh, Max and Clarence didn't take it too well. I uh, Tunnel of Love is so weird to me. I hardly listen to it. And then the first time I really listened to it, I was like, uh, not for me. Then I listened to it again for the show recently because when your favorite artist has like 30 records or whatever, you're not going to listen to the ones you think are bad. I listened to it again and I was like, ah, maybe I like this. I listened to it a third time and I was like, I really like this album. It was very bizarre. The the transformation this record had to me. And if you go and look at like best Bruce Springsteen album ever rankings of which there's billions of them, some of them have tunnel love towards the bottom and then others have it towards the top. And there's even some that say it's his best album, which it's not. But Tunnel of Love ended up with the seven after all was said and done and went three times platinum. I heard somebody call your name from underneath our willow. I saw something tucked in shame. I mean, this was the start of his horny years and looking at the context of like him uh, going through a divorce and now being a single man that has reached some high level of success. I mean, when you think about it, um, and this is maybe why I wanted to go back and listen to some Tom Petty, because I've never done a really run through. I'm not a huge Heartbreakers fan. I've always considered Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers like a greatest hits band. It's good to buy the greatest hits, and I think you're good to go. But after actually going through the catalog, I think I'm wrong. Um, 
but with Tom Petty going away from the Heartbreakers and releasing Full Moon Fever with uh, Rick Rubin, this that was definitely an achievement. Tunnel of Love is definitely a throwaway. And even Steve Hyden, a rock critic who I think me and Steve uh, appreciate, definitely think that uh, Tunnel of Love is one of his most underappreciated records. Uh, the production value, like Steve said, is very 1987 of the time. Um, the song Brilliant Disguise is the one that's probably the one that's going to be most familiar. Um, like I had mentioned earlier, it being more contemporary, more like Phil Collinsy production. Um, it's got like it's got like clam snaps on it. Yeah. <laughs> so what I would say about this one is come for the lyrics, not necessarily for the music. And um, I think you will find some uh, charm in this record, but it's going to be probably a six for me. Um, this is kind of the beginning of what Bruce is trying to figure out post the monster mega success that he achieved with uh, Born in the USA and disengaging himself from uh, the E Street Band, even though the players still found themselves on this uh, on this record. You know, that's, you know, and, and Bruce, uh, you know, he openly talks about his years of depression, going to therapy, trying to figure things out. So many of his songs are trying about trying to figure things out, which is a lot of why a lot of us relate to it. Definitely was trying to figure something out here. He's also an emotional guy, even though sometimes he could be, you know, measured, make, have sound judgment. I think he made a bad judgment call here, but he decided the thing he had to do to react to the big success he had was he had to be like, who am I really? So he broke up the band, figure out who who he really is. When he looks back, I don't know if he thinks, was that a good idea? Would he do it again? Um, did he have to do it to get to where they all ended up later? I, I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's a definitely interesting record. The mo- this is where the Y92 of it all, this might be the most Y92 of all of his albums, but I, it grew on me. And that song, Brilliant Disguise, is just wonderful. Um, and yeah, some of the lyrics on it are pretty damn dark still, even though it sounds like something you'd see in Miami Vice. Eric, what do you think? Just really quick. Uh, Brilliant Disguise, I agree, is actually a really cool song. There are some moments on this that have a ethereal twanginess to it where it could fit in the same world as like a, that kind of, you know, I don't know, Blue Velvet Twin Peaksy kind of thing. But I, maybe I'm overselling it. There is a vibe. There is a twangy, like Western Americana vibe uh, meets the production, the Y92 production of the era that is kind of interesting. Uh, but all said and done, I'm going to put, go ahead and pull out uh, Brilliant Disguise, put it in my bag and uh, appreciate that the most. But there you go. You're right, this, this probably is David Lynch's favorite Springsteen album. You're right. I mean, uh, for our listeners uh, that don't understand when we categorize things as Y92, uh, in Sacramento, that was the contemporary radio station that all of our moms listened to. Y92? We've got 10,000 reasons why. Hi, we're Paul and Phil from Y92. He's Paul. I'm Phil. Exactly. And it's easy to win $10,000. Just listen. Tomorrow morning at 720. We'll announce a zip code. Maybe your zip code. And if you're the 92nd caller. And you live in that zip code. You'll win $10,000. Yes, it's impressive. Now let's recap. First, you'll listen. To Paul and Phil. Tomorrow morning. 720. Zip code. 10 grand. Piece of cake. That's easy. That's why. Y92. 92.5 FM. Yep, exactly. All our moms and uh, Eric's dad listen to it. 
Um, there was also Mix 96, which I think played similar stuff. And yeah, it, it was when you I mean, it's probably but also, I mean, I don't know, man, you hear when you're a kid, you hear songs like Maneater and stuff, and it's, it's not that bad. That's like you take you take what you can get. Um, Kokomo played all the time on <laughs> both of those fucking radio stations. But go. In 1992, he tried to pull a Use Your Illusion and release two albums on the same day. Bad Move, uh, Human Touch, and Lucky Town. I'm not going to give him zeros because that would be terrible. There's some redeeming quality somewhere, but I have trouble listening to them all the way through. They're not that good. They are mishmashes and he doesn't really have an identity. Um, these two albums to me sound like, like, like what people that don't listen to Bruce Springsteen think Bruce Springsteen, Bruce Springsteen sounds like this is uh these are like John Mellencamp B sides. Can't even name songs off of them that I like. No, thank you. Yeah, I'll just lump both of them together myself since they were released on the same day. Lucky Town is better, but not by much. Um, so Human Touch, that's like a two. Um, and uh, the uh, Lucky Town's probably a three. Just kind of generic songwriting. I think Bruce was struggling with trying to find himself in this kind of new uh, sound. And, you know, like album-oriented rock was not lighting up the charts anymore and so even though i think at this time bruce was more coasting on his name rather than actually trying to release music that means it's worth a damn um i mean yeah i'm trying to think if there's any songs on here that really i I got you mark i got you mark is it human touch uh well (laughs) i mean that's that's a sexy song but 57 yeah. channels and nothing on is a song. About That's a good one. Dog. Actually. I do it's like a, that song. Well, yeah. so, so this is a song about a man and a woman and his woman. He, she's begging for cable TV. This is when cable TV was first coming out. So he buys it for her and then he's trying to get frisky. And she's like, no, 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 no. I'm watching. I'm watching. She's not interested. It kills her libido. And he's like, are you kidding me? There's 57 channels and nothing on. It's all garbage. He keeps trying. She's not interested. So what happens? He buys a gun and he shoots his TV like Elvis shoots it. And then the cops come and and, and he gets arrested for uh, disturbing the peace. And it's uh, it's a crime story of the ages. See by your eyes, friend, you're just about gone. 57 channels and nothing on. 57 channels and nothing on. And I never paid attention to those. Never paid attention to those lyrics, and now I like that song more. (laughs) (laughs) That is what it's about. Back when cable TV, when Fifty Seven Channels was a lot of channels. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like his No Pussy Blues by (laughs) Grindr. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize that. No, I always thought it was just like an indictment on you know, it's in the title. There's nothing on here. You know, that's great. Um, And sadly, relatable. (laughs) <laughs> but uh yeah uh those albums are not good uh, do not listen to them can i That's can i just advice. can i chime in i already talked about how they're kind of part of my my past with bruce so that's fine i'm not going to defend him but um at this time he also puts out streets of philadelphia which we did mention i was going to mention that next is that sometimes around sometime around yeah. then 
shortly after this, the Philadelphia movie comes out and he puts out the song Streets of Philadelphia. He was called up and asked to do it or he was friends with Jonathan Demi and he did some arrangements that were typical Bruce. And then he went back and did it with the synthesizers and the hip hop beat. And I think he kind of regains his footing there with that song. Avenue till my legs feel like stone. I heard the voices of friends vanished and gone. At night, I could hear the blood in my veins, just as black and whispering as the rain on the streets of Philadelphia. It doesn't sound like a lot of his other catalog. I, I, it's really good. And, and I think, you know, it's weird. He, he, the synth work, like the synth work on the two albums that he just put out are not good. They're like very much cookie cutter eighties, like synths. but it, it still kind of is that on this, but it's got this mood and he's, his vocal delivery is so heartbreaking about somebody who's like, dying of AIDS and is homeless and has lost his, you know, all of his status in life and, uh, it, you know, mirrors the movie to a certain degree, but, um, it's, it's a heartbreaking song and, and very powerful. I, I think it's a fantastic track. Yeah, uh, I do. I mean, I already kind of espoused my feelings about that particular track earlier, but I also want to shout out the music video where Bruce is just walking the streets of Philadelphia wearing a jean jacket over a hoodie, and I definitely stole that look. Every time I put <laughs> one of those like combinations on, I just want <laughs> to bruise and battered, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> unrecognizable yeah. to myself. <laughs> uh, it's a great, yeah, it's a good song. Um, in '94, I think he found his muse again. By this point, goes to Tom Jode, kind of a sequel to Nebraska, stripped back. Uh, the best track off of it, in my opinion, is uh, The Ghost of Tom Jode. It went gold. And uh, the thing about this album that amazes me is that Rage Against the Machine did a live cover of The Ghost of Tom Jode. And it was like a minor radio hit because it was the 90s and things were weird and you could play weird shit on the radio. And um, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that their gateway to Bruce was Rage. And, uh, and this is also... Go ahead, Mark. I was just going to say Tom Morello loved this record, and mm -hmm. that was one of the major reasons he uh, presented it to the rest of the band and was just like, I think we could do this. I think this is a good song that we could cover. And it was met with like, are you sure about that? But Tom Morello, like, I think was handing out this album to uh, his friends and family during Christmas. He just was <laughs> over the moon about it. And I think... When he goes on to produce High Hopes with Tom Morello, I'm sure he achieved his ultimate dream. Go ahead. Steve. Well, I think in the in the the last two albums, unlike those where the songs were all about, you know, that cold space in his genes, uh, this one was uh, about like the plight of the migrant worker, which kind of finds him touching back into that working man, that like teamster rock that that kind of made him so. 
Pulls a prayer book out of his sleeping bag Preacher lights up a butt and takes a drag Waiting for when the last shall be first and the first shall be last In a cardboard box neath the underpass Got a one-way ticket to the promised land He's also married for real this time, if you will, to Patty from the E Street Band. She joined the E Street Band for, I think, the uh, Born in the USA tour. And uh, they've been married ever since, and they have kids. And uh, around this time, he starts his conversion to the Virginian coal miner voice uh, that you hear more and more often, where he, he starts to sound... He sounds like Bruce Springsteen, but he just has this twang that's uh, like, you're from Jersey, but okay. Um, this will come to full bloom later in the Seeger sessions, Sailor. Uh, later, uh, in the late '90s, they put out a greatest hits album. The E Street Band gets back together for a few songs, and they tour, but they don't get back together for real. Uh, off of that greatest hits album, the the Hard Land is a great song to check out as a bonus track. In 2001, 9/11 happens. Have you guys heard about this? Um. <laughs> Have you heard about 9-11? And the, uh, the story goes, this is, I don't know how much truth there is to this, but the story is that Bruce was on his motorcycle or something driving around the East Coast. Some trucker pulled up next to him and like rolled down his window and said, like, Bruce, we need you and the East Street Band back. We need you now. And uh, he gets the East Street Band back together and they make the rising. Um many folks love that record and it's cathartic feel in the aftermath of 9-11 and after this the rest is history for the third time the E Street Band stays together and they tour um, they don't always you know stay together for every album but they don't ever break up again after this um, I probably got the sequence of events wrong earlier I think maybe the rising started before 9-11 but after 9-11 it definitely informed the album and uh, it's an okay record. I give it a 6.5. It's a lot. It's like 74 minutes long. It's two times platinum. And my favorite song on it is Waiting on a Sunny Day, an upbeat single. Mark, how do you feel about The Rising? It's
So this starts the Brendan O'Brien years, if you ask me, and uh, where the sound of Pearl Jam and Bruce Springsteen start to meld a little bit more further along in this little trilogy of uh, uh, albums that they do together. But you're right. It's hard to separate this particular album from the events of 9-11, especially with that concert for New York. Uh, that song, The Rising, uh, is very anthemic. Um, but there is some good songs. But like you said, Stephen, it's it's a lot. And sometimes it's with mixed results. I think this album, uh, because it was so closely associated with bringing people together out of that horrific event, um, I think it it's better than all that you can't leave behind uh, that you too did. Um, certainly better, but I almost lumped the two records together um, just because of their place in post 9-11 and um, that that particular age. So I, I give this one a 6.5 because it is a lot and this definitely signals the start of his new sound for a while. Yeah, it's good. It, it- it's great to hear the E Street Band back together again. It doesn't do a lot for me. The uh, the title track, though, I think, you know, it's cool and it does paint. A, it's like a time capsule uh, for that. It's great. Um, but, you know, hey, shiny roads ahead now that the E Street Band is back. Yeah, exactly. The, the fact that the E Street Band is back together and touring, you know, what are you going to do? Any album that surrounds that is going to be held up in high regard. Uh, Devils and Dust comes out in uh, 2005. This is another Nebraska-type album. Uh, You know, albums of Bruce, his guitar, and his thoughts. It goes gold. The title track's the uh, the album I'd I'd listen to off of it. One time I was flying back from New York, and we hit bad turbulence, and I thought we were all going to die, and I put that song on repeat. Uh, We didn't die. Devils and Dust is a dusty record, that's for sure. Um, It's uh, another one of those folk rock, you know, uh, there's a little bit more instrumentation than just Bruce and his acoustic guitar. I remember when this record first came out in 2005, there was a lot of ink spilled about the fact that he talked about sodomy in the song Reno. Uh, $200 straight in, 250 up the ass. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess that's the going rate in Reno. Uh, so good to know, Bruce. I was, uh, at the I was at the 7-Eleven yesterday, and there's a beer called Reno as Fuck. So <laughs> on brand. Um, so uh, this one is not quite as great as uh, uh, Nebraska or Ghost of Tom Joad for me, but I still think that it's better than the rising and a little bit better than the, the frog Seeger record. Um, the, the uh, bluegrass one, but this one here, I'd probably rate it a 6.75. Froggy went a courting and he did right, uh-huh. Froggy went a courting and he did right, a sword and pistol by his side, uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He went down to Miss Mouse. Yeah, so then the, uh, the We Shall Overcome, the Seeger sessions come out. He covers a bunch of Pete Seeger songs. They go on tour and they, they old Dan Tucker the fuck out of their catalog. Um... It's fun, but uh, not necessary to me. But uh, it seems like a natural evolution for a guy that's so about the working man. Um, I'd give it like a five. 
Did you guys, either of you guys listen to it? It's kind of an experiment to me, even though it was a big deal at the time. Did I say Bob Seeger? Uh, <laughs> no, you said, you said Pete Seeger, but. Okay. You know, that would did be I say different. Bob Seeger? Oh, you said <laughs> Pete Seeger, but I was wondering, did I say Bob Seeger? <laughs> oh boy. Um, but. Crack of Coors. <laughs> In 2006, um, or seven, 2007, they released Magic, and it's a great goddamn album. Um, the lyrics touching the Bush administration shenanigans. They tore. I saw it. It was great. I love that record. I give it a nine. The song Long Walk Home um, or Devil's Arcade. I love both those songs. This is good modern Bruce. This is definitely the Brendan O'Brien, but I think it's the best version of that uh, version of Shiny soul blade All it needs a volunteer I'll cut you in half While you're smiling at me And the freedom that you saw um, The Last to Die is another great song Last, I was going to say, that's my favorite track off there That's good. Yeah, dar- Darling, your tyrants and kings form the same fate Strung up at your city gates And you're the last to die for a mistake uh, Mark, how'd you feel about magic? Magic is the best of the Brendan O'Brien years. Uh, no doubt. Um, radio nowhere. I think that was the, uh, I don't know if that, yeah, that was the first single. Um, pretty hooky. I, I, I appreciate the little bit more immediacy in these tracks. Um, yeah, this is by far pound for pound. I mean, there's some like, uh, easy breezy type songs like girls in their summer clothes on this one. Uh, but I do give this one probably a uh, seven and a half just because later Bruce for me doesn't impact me as ha- as harder as the early Bruce. But this one here um, comes close. And I'm always surprised to see this one down on the ranking. Um, but it is what it is. Um, I think this one is a pretty good modern Bruce record, like you said. Yeah. And uh, we're entering the streaming era. So the record sales are going to drop a little. And this only goes platinum. Eric, what do you think about it? Oh yeah, I mean, good. I, I called out my favorite song on it. It's, but it, yeah, overall I like the sound. But I, you can move on to the next one. All right, uh, magic makes me think of a topic we're going to touch on briefly when we're done talking about the albums, which is Bruce Springsteen album covers, and uh, magic is one of them. Um, Working on a dream comes out in 2009. Uh, it goes gold. I only give it a six. But I really like the the overall vibe of it is kind of the Roy Orbison Roy Orbison lushness, weaker songs. But the opening track is one of my favorites, Outlaw Pete, and it does not belong on this record at all. It does not sound like the rest of this record at all. It doesn't belong on this album, but my God, it's great. It's like uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, but it's about a little baby that becomes a goddamn bandit. Uh, <laughs> And as the snow fairly held that beautiful daughter to his 
working on a dream came out is when I started to really get into Bruce. So I was very highly interested to hear what he was up to. Um, working on a dream, uh, lucky day, uh, was the wrestler was also, uh, featured on here, which was, uh, you know, the title track it was a bonus track on this record. So it makes me think that when it was included in the wrestler, uh, Darren Aronofsky, Mickey work movie, uh, that they decided to throw this one on here. But on a whole, this record is kind of more of the pop rock feel to it. And I think even Stevie said that. Um, so it, it tends to hew a little closer to adult contemporary, a little to my clo- uh, taste. But Outlaw Pete is a very cinematic. And I think it like branched off into an, like someone wrote a children's book about it. So yes. there you have it. Um it's not my favorite working on a dream. Uh, it seems like it was a record that uh, Obama's political team was also working on with him in order for them to create a soundtrack for his, uh, yeah. you know, his election. Uh, all I'll say about it is you are hundred percent right about outlaw Pete. What a great song. And I love anything that includes harmonica man into it. Um, the album artwork looks like George Harrison's Cloud Nine. <laughs> yeah, we'll come back to that at the end here. Yeah. Oh, boy. But anyways, uh, move on. Yeah, next. Yeah, yeah. Wrecking Ball comes out, um, and uh, Wrecking Ball is good. Comes out in 2012. Uh, I love the title track. I also love uh, Oh Land of Hopes and Dreams. It kind of sounds a little bit like the Pete Seeger stuff hang has a hangover here. I'd give it a 6.9. The title track is great, though. they played it in one of the last events at that show or at for that stadium uh but you're right it it definitely has a little bit of hangover uh, i think it's a pretty solid track uh, or a solid record um it, some people have said this is his uh occupy wall street record and i might have to agree so uh it, it gets a 6.5 easy money big bombastic production on this one um but it grabs your attention. I, I listen to it all the way through. Um, uh, I like all the songs you guys named. Uh, the last, last song, Rocky Ground, sounds a little bit like uh, standing in a toll booth with, you know, change in my hand. If you remember that old, that old track. 
but uh, it does. I don't think that's the last track, but oh yeah, yeah. it has that little like like sample that they repeat yeah. over and over again. But anyways, it's 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 interesting to hear him do like what sounds like you know could be any pop rock bands like big bombastic production, but quality songwriting. It's 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 not bad. Yeah, at the time I thought, and I, I like it a lot. But at the time I was like, this is it. He's this is. You're going to be able to put this one right next to fucking Darkness on the Edge of Town. Like, I was high on it when it first came out. Um, I don't know why I was so high on it, but it's not bad. High Hopes comes out next, 2014. It's a weird mishmash of uh, reworked B-sides or songs that were only live. A new version of uh, the the Tom Joad, uh, Ghost of Tom Joad song um, with Tom Morello on guitar and vocals. Uh, Tom Morello was playing it live in his Night Watchman group. Then Tom Morello joined the E Street Band when Stevie had to go film Lilyhammer. Um, I didn't like it much at first. It grew on me. It's got some weird production tricks. I'd give it a six, but it's not bad. But the version of uh, the Ghost of Tom Joad on there with the epic guitar solo, which I mean, that guitar solo is up there with uh, Mick Ronson's live guitar solo of uh, uh, Moon Age Daydream by David Bowie. It is amazing. I wouldn't even call it a, calling it a guitar solo. doesn't do it justice. It's a, uh, it's a guitar movement. High hopes. Yeah, high hopes is uh, not a terrible record. Um, it's interesting to say the least. Uh, the song "High Hopes" is uh, pretty interesting. Uh, another song that uh, seems to be always relevant in our day and age around police and policing uh, African Americans in our country. Uh, American Skin, forty-one shots. I remember listening to that one on a live uh, version. Before I think it was a live staple before it actually found a studio record. It's a long one, but I feel that it's a pretty, uh, I mean, it's heavy handed, but I think heavy handed in a good way uh, because it's just broadcasting and reporting the news. And Stephen's right. The ghost of Tom Joad version on here can cure cancer. It's extremely well done. I appreciate it immensely. So high hopes for me gets a 6.5 because you know, it's uh, it's modern Bruce. It's never going to be as good as the classics, but it's still fucking good enough to be consistent. Maybe yeah, a seven I mean, it, on it, this it, one. It, Maybe a seven on this one. Artists that stick around for 50 years, if they're listenable this, this late in the game, I consider it a win. If they're actually good, it's incredible. So... Uh, Eric, you listen to High Hopes at all? It's kind of a mishmash. It's not yeah, essential. I, I can just, just the Ghost of Tom Joe, that version is 
is enough. To, it, as far as rising action goes, please. We're all we're all reaching for uh, tissues uh, after it for yeah. different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> In 2019, Western Stars comes out. It goes gold in Germany, but not the U.S. Uh, it's lush as hell. I love it. It is very cinematic. Uh, strings and uh, nice singing. I give it an eight. Western stars, Mark. It's a big sky, Bruce. It is uh, meant for listening to by a lakeside in the Alpines. Um, it is, uh, even though it has a Western motif to it, it at times, sometimes can be a little bit um, Christian country, uh, but that's not a bad thing. It's just more in the lyrical value of it, of him just kind of connecting with what's around him. Uh, Western stars is a solid record. A little bit more subdued, but still kind of, you know, back in the uh, the country days where they sometimes you'd have these country artists playing in front of an orchestra. That's what this album feels like. It's like uh, '70s country. Yeah, that's when they that's when they used to pull out the pit the pit crew, and uh, yeah, and, and 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 this is where I part ways with our with bruce i liked what i heard and then i had to edit our last episodes <laughs> so i have nothing else to add to bruce's discography i do like that it's very rich like you said lush string and uh you know compositions behind his uh you know uh, you know more like yeah like westerny country songs um i'm you know, I definitely like the sound. It, it was nice on the ears, but uh, I don't have much more to add. Uh, and I got so close to the end. Well, you got close to a pretty good record that came out. It's the pandemic record. They recorded it in like a week or three days or something. Uh, the E Street Band at Bruce's house during pandemic times. Letter to You. Uh, released in October 2020. And if you want to watch a documentary on it, it's all over the internet. Uh, you can probably go click on Apple uh, right now or go to YouTube. And uh, the song Room of a Thousand Guitars, I like I like that song. It's a stripped back, just straight ahead rock record. Uh, it went gold in Germany as well. That's weird. Letter to you, Mark. I give it a seven. From the stadiums to the small town bars We're right at the high of a thousand guitars house of a thousand guitars house of a thousand guitars brother and sister wherever you are we'll rise together till we fire the spark that'll light up the house of a thousand guitars
Better to You for me is uh, probably another six record for me. Um, the song Letter to You and Burn and Train, um, House of a Thousand Guitars, but there's some like clunkers on here that don't work for me, like The Power of Prayer. Um, you know, I don't know. It's not a bad record. It seems like it was recorded extremely fast. Um, I did watch the documentary. Well, well it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that's fine. Like those quick and dirty records are, are fine in artists' repertoire. Um, I I think that when this record came out, people were just like, "Oh man, Bruce is back. This is the one." And then I heard it, and I was like, "It's good. It's fine." It's not necessarily going to be in my top five or my top ten, um, but I feel like he's trying to get a little closer to creating a record that's under an hour and a half or so and uh, just tries to keep moving along. But it's, you know, Modern Bruce is is uh, it's it's not necessarily my jam, but it's not bad, like you had said earlier. Like, even Modern Bowie was always kind of like, Okay, it's Bowie. It's good, you know. And this is kind of how I feel about Bruce. Uh, Bruce never got as bad as Bowie did um, at his lowest moments. Ah, uh, you might say the Lucky Town and uh, Human Touch are about as unlistenable as uh, Glass Spider or whatever the hell it was. And tonight, yeah, ne- um, never, uh, never let me down. down. Yeah, I'd rather no. Tonight's better than those two records, but um. I think post zero zero Bruce is better than Bowie, but just a, a click overall, like oh, total uh, all the albums Bowie released in this side, uh, black star, notwithstanding, you know, your, your realities and your imagines and your, uh, the moment Valentine's day on it. They're about as good as I think the modern Bruce albums are too, which is good. Um, we're not going to, you know, I don't want to go any deeper than that. That'll become another point. <laughs> this segment, which I said would take 20 minutes. We've done it again, guys. Here we are. It's been an hour. Um, here we are. Only the strong survive is the most recent record. Very recent. It's an album of R and B covers. It's all covers, uh, covers of songs by such people as Sam and Dave and many others. So I'm forgetting, but I remember that Sam and Dave, Sam, a Sam and Dave is actually on the album. It is good. It's very well done. The production is great. If you want to hear Bruce sing some some R&B songs from the classic uh, 60s and 70s, this is for you. I would give it a six. Let yeah, me know it's... when he covers Casey and JoJo. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of unnecessary. Uh, I don't know if we needed Bruce Springsteen's version of Young Americans. Um, but I do appreciate at this stage in his career that he wants to pay homage to who he, um, you know, was inspired by in his early days. I mean, it's not something I'm ever going to reach for. So for that reason, it's probably going to be a five for me. It not an, it's just unnecessary for me. I feel like, okay, Bruce, you could have took a year off, go spend some time with your family. Uh, yeah, I think that we're seeing, you know, way back, uh, we mentioned earlier, He's like, we're 75 years old. We can start charging more for our concerts. And also there's a little bit of a, I'm 75 years old, 73. I'm 73 years old. I'll do what I want with this, in, yeah. in my opinion. So. Yep. If he wants to sing karaoke, then by God, have fun, man. 
So, and what started as this history of the Eastery band that also became a discography review, um, Pepper in a bunch of tours that they went on. And also, uh, in 1999, Bruce received Kennedy Center honors. And in 2016, he got the Presidential Medal of Freedom from President Barack Obama, who he later did a podcast with, with that I never listened to because there's too much content out there. So I'm sure it was great. I'm sure those guys had some deep, deep talks. All right. Before we get into the history of uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town, which we'll go through quickly, I promise. I want to talk about these album covers. And we'll talk more about those ridiculous album covers. Some that are very sexy to others that look like something from the live, laugh, love category. Next episode. Along with some discussion of the members of the E Street Band and their personality quirks. And discussing Darkness on the Edge of Town, track by track, which is the main course of this mini Bruce Springsteen duology of episodes. Until then, let's let Tom Waits and Bruce take us out with the Jersey Girl. I hope that we brought you closer to Boss. Yeah.